Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Connect Church is a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, evangelical Christian church serving the people of Mesa, Arizona, and abroad. Connect Church is focused on reaching wide in our community, teaching deep to equip people, and unleashing compassion, all to see our world impacted in a real way. Now, let's listen in on today's message. She adjusted her scarf one more time, carefully making sure that all of the hair was tucked in around her head, but she could still see out of her peripheral vision. She adjusted her clothes and slipped into her sandals, and as she walked by the bathroom mirror, she stopped and took one last glimpse at herself. She looked into the mirror, and she smiled, and she winked, and she pointed at herself because one of her friends had told her recently that when you struggle with low self-esteem, the best thing you can do is respect and appreciate yourself because if you don't respect and appreciate yourself, nobody else will. So she does that one last wink. She feels pretty good about who she is. She walks through the kitchen. As she walks through the kitchen, she picks up the one lone pot that will serve as a water source for the day, and she puts it on her shoulder, and she heads out the front door. Going through the town marketplace, she sees that there's a new little shop that is open. She walks over and there are some new silk scarves and she's looking at them and she adjusts her sunglasses and looks down and starts rubbing them. And as she's taking a look at them, she notices a couple of the women who also come walking into shop. She recognizes them. They haven't yet recognized her. And so she quickly turns and walks away. And she walks out around the edge of the backside of town because out there where the shrubs are and the birds are and some of the plant life and the animal life is, nobody judges her for a few moments. The sun is already hot. It's noonday. It's the zenith of the temperatures and it's only going to get worse as she makes her way over to the water source. And she goes over to the water source and and there she dips down and takes that heavy pot off her shoulder and sitting there in the heat, she just pauses for a minute It's hot and she's tired of doing this at noon by herself in her lonesome condition day after day after day. And she does not realize that on this day, everything in her life that she has tried to hide through her veil and her scarf and her sunglasses and the water pot and going out at weird hours, everything in her life is about to become unveiled because on this day, it has to happen. She has been stuck in guilt and shame for as long as she can remember. And one of the reasons I love the stories of the Bible I love going into the background and looking at the characters and and unearthing the history and the understanding is because I have come to the point in my life where I completely appreciate and recognize that the way Jesus dealt with people then lets us know how he will deal with people now. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of John If you're not sure where that is, if you're relatively new to the church, the Bible has an Old Testament and a New Testament. Go to the section called the New Testament. Hang a right. It's the fourth book in. Go to the fourth chapter. If you have to use the table of contents, there's no shame in that. That's what it's there for. If you have your electronic advice, your smartphone, your iPad, your Kindle, get it off of your fantasy football team because if you look at that in church, you will lose. It's in the text somewhere today. (laughs) 
and find the Gospel of John and hang out with me for just a little bit as we read this story. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was, in fact was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. And so he left Judea and he went once more back to Galilee. Now there's a whole lot of political stuff going on in just that one verse. And, and basically last week we talked about the Pharisees and how they were like the, the religious elite and people. And, and the, what the problem is, is he's been ministering and the Pharisees are upset because people are no longer following them. They're now following him and they're struggling. But Jesus realizes, hey, this is only John chapter four. We've got 17 more chapters to get through before I need to confront that issue. I'm going to keep on moving. I know what my purpose is. And so John chapter 4 is where it all begins to happen. It's where the whole key to our conversation here this morning is. John chapter 4 verse 4 says, now he had to go. Circle that, highlight that, whatever device you're using. Make sure you mark it up some way that catches your attention. He had to go. Jesus is the son of God. When does he ever have to do anything? I can't think of anything in my life that Jesus had to do anything. You know, I know that's bad English, but it's good theology. But apparently, apparently God needs something done that day. There's something on God's majestical to-do list that he wants accomplished on that particular day. It's very important. And so Jesus has to go do something because that's what his father wants him to do that day. And it's really important that we get that when the Bible says Jesus had to go, that there's something that's going to take place that's very important to God the Father that's going to be done through his son, Jesus the Christ. And we'll get a chance to understand how Jesus handles people in that situation there and then. Because when we see how he does it then, we'll know how he does it. And so he came to a town called Samaria, Samaria and Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph and Joseph's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well and it was about noon. And when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will, give, will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy the food. Now, Right here, this lets us know what Jesus had to do on this particular day. He had to stop by a well at noon. It is the hot time of day. The sun is at its zenith over there in the Mideastern culture. And this woman is coming alone to the well. There's nobody else there. There are no lines. It's extremely hot. Everybody else has already gathered the water they're going to use that morning. And in the heat of the day, they're back in the comfort of their air-conditioned homes. And they won't come back until that night. So she comes when there's nobody else there. I have a pastor friend that their church works with a food kitchen down in Haiti. And down in Haiti, there's an area where they are, where the, the pipes from the water that comes from the springs comes down through the rock. And whenever they try to cap it, whenever they try to like save it and reserve it in case something bad's going to happen in the future. Whatever they use to do that with, people just take off. And so what happens is these lines form early in the morning. 
And then everybody gets their water. There's a line to the right and a line to the left. And after they've all gotten their water and they all go home, and then they come back and do it in the evening. And my pastor friend has said to him when he's been over there a few times that he has gone down there. And as they stand in line to get water, something incredible happens. Those lines become a form of community for them. That's where they catch up on the news stories of the day. And that's the same kind of thing that happens around Jacob's well in this community in Samaria, especially as it relates to this woman. Because as people would gather there at the earliest part of the day and the latest part of the day to get their water and they wait in line to beat the heat, to escape the heat, they start having their conversations. And as many conversations will go in small town communities, eventually whatever the primary news story of the day is begins to emerge. And too often this lady has been the news story of that day. And so she chooses to go alone. And the Samaritan woman said to him in verse 9, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And wham, the race card gets played heavily. You see, it was 500 years prior when Assyria swept through the region in 752 BC and they took in all of the people and conquered all of the uh, Israeli nation. And then what they did is they took those who were considered royalty, those who were the purest of the lineage, those who were the best educated, and they separated them and they took them up into the Assyrian capital and utilized them for one other purpose. But the rank and file, the working class, the blue collar people, they put down in this other region that we now call Samaria, or at least the Bible does, and they put them there. And then what happened was every time they captured people from other nationalities, they would do the same thing. They would take the royalty, they take the elite, they take the most educated, and they put them in the capital. And then they would take all of these other people, the rank and file and the blue color, and they'd put them in this one area, this region that became to be known as Samaria. Back there in the capital, the Jewish people said, we are going to stick true to our faith. We're going to stick true to our lineage. We're going to stay true to our heritage. We are not going to intermingle. We are not going to intermarry. We are true to our God. And we are going to be people of one faith and one lineage. But down here in Samaria, where the rank and file lived, and all of the people from all the different nationalities and don't get don't lose this all of the different religions of the day began to intermingle and intermarry and they the Jewish men would go she's pretty cute I don't care where she's from and the Jewish women would go he's pretty hot I don't care what religion he has and they began to intermingle and they begin to mix bloodlines, and they begin to mix heritages, and they begin to uh, mix ethnicities, and don't lose this. In that day, it's far more important than it is in the, where we are today. They begin to intermarry and mix religions and expressions of faith. And in doing so, when Babylon took over and Babylon saw how well it had worked for Assyria and Babylon eventually conquers Assyria. Babylon does the exact same game plan right down to the very model that the Assyrians had implemented. So eventually when the Jewish people were freed from captivity and they began to do their own conquering, when they came back, they didn't have a true Jewish people to hang out with. And so they started their own thing in another part of the region and they talked about those 
mongrels in Samaria. How many of you knew that part of the story? And so that's how they do this. And it became race wars to the nth degree for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. As a matter of fact, if you take it so much further, Jesus is getting ready to start a conversation with this woman because of all of that. And then they had this tremendous caste system that got all perverted. Men would never talk to a woman in public. And some of the rabbis, some of the Pharisees would not only talk to a woman in public, they wouldn't even talk to their own wives in public. Some of you women are going to think I married a rabbi. (laughs) Uh, They just kind of grunt. (laughs) And so you had all of this goofy stuff as a backdrop going into this conversation that we're about to get knee deep into, maybe neck deep for some of us. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now we read that. And if you've been in the church for a while, we read that through spiritual overtones. We read that through church lenses. But there's actually a backdrop going on to to this conversation that plays into her response. You see, back then, all the water was gathered in cisterns. And when it came running down off the mountains and would go into these wells, they would just be gathered there. And while they would drop their pots or their buckets, if you will, down in to get the water, it still tasted a little bit like clay, still had a little bit of that dirt taste. It was potable. It was, it was drinkable. Everything about it was okay, but it wasn't the best water. The best water in those days was called living water. It is the water that flowed in the streams. It is the water that bubbled up in the springs and came naturally, not water that had been stored in some clay cistern or some well. And she's having this conversation and she's thinking, well, he's going to give me all of this living water. It's bubbling up. And, and, her, com- and her response is a little bit interesting because it's a little bit filled with sarcasm and a little bit filled with female flirtation. Sir, the woman says, you have nothing to draw with and this well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock. And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks this water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to life eternal. He's like, lady, we're talking about two different things here. You have a thirst And that thirst is going to cause you to return here later tonight when you need another bottle of water. But I'm about to give you something permanent. Well, she sold on that. What is this? I love the infomercial. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, in American Christianity, when you're in these conversations that have this type of spiritual overtone, are you still with me in this? We stop right here and we say, well, what you have to do is fold your hands and bow your head and say a prayer and tell Jesus you're sorry. And then Jesus will come in and Jesus will fix everything in your life. That's where we go with the American church. We'll get you forgiven and you'll be good as gold from from this day forward. But Jesus doesn't go there. In fact, it's almost like Jesus takes a detour on purpose. Because there's something he had to do. And he told her, 
Go call your husband and come back. Well, I have no husband, she replied. Well, that's quite embarrassing for Jesus, isn't it? I mean, anytime Jesus is wrong in the Bible, you may want to stop and find out why he's wrong. As my bet is, he's probably not wrong. But Jesus, you know, Jesus got this timeshare presentation going on, right? I can, you get your husband and I'll talk to two of you. It's going to take about an hour and a half and we'll be done with it. But if it's only one of you, I'll give you some living water, but not enough for both of you. You know, it's kind of like Jesus needs both of you present. Now, only Jesus can get by with stuff like this. You've got to know that up front. It's like Jesus would walk up to a woman. When are you due? I'm not expecting. You better check again. <laughs> or Jesus walks up to a man. Oh, I'm so sorry you lost your job. I haven't lost my job. You may want to talk to your boss today. <laughs> Lady, go call your husband. I don't have a husband. And then Jesus told her, yeah, you're right. You're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands and the man you're currently living with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Get your husband. I'm not married. Well, that's true. You've had five husbands. and The guy you're living with right now is somebody else's husband. That's why you come here at the noonday hour when it's hot as blazes instead of coming in the morning and evening with the rest of the women in town. That's why you're not in line with everybody else. See, she comes at those times, if you haven't figured it out yet, because she wants to, at all costs, avoid the situation. And over the years, you know what my thought has become as I try to read scripture and I try to filter it through understanding in real life circumstances and modern day situations? My thought is that whatever it is that you want to avoid at all costs is the very thing that's on God's to-do list that he has to do today. Are you ready for this? Convince me. Are you ready for this? Yes. Now, this lady is smarter than she looks because she does something that Christians in the United States do all the time. Jesus has confronted her. She doesn't know how he knows what he knows. She only knows that he's kind of told her about him herself there in that moment. And so what she does is she, she acts like she's getting all religious. Check this out. Well, sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that place over there is where you much worship in Jerusalem. You see what she's doing? Changing the subject. Going into Christianese mode. You know, getting all religious. Let's change the subject. We do it too, right? Oh, yeah. Um, how you doing? I'm doing okay. Well, how you doing with that porn addiction? You know, I've been thinking about going to that new church over there in the corner there recently. I hear, I hear they got a new pastor. I'm thinking about going over there. Next week, because I don't have time to do it today, even though it fits. Next week, as we're in this series called, what are we in a series called? Anybody know? Unstuck. unstuck. Next week, we're going to talk about how you get unstuck from religion. I don't have time to do that today. You're going to want to be here. It is one of the coolest things we're ever going to do this year. Because this lady's stuck in religion and she wants to talk about church 
She wants to talk about, I'm going to go to church. And if I go to church, maybe God will help me. And she has no idea that she is with God. And she doesn't get that this guy is speaking in red letters. I wasn't sure all of you'd get that. I'm pretty impressed. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, underline this, highlight it, whatever you got to do with whatever you're working with, and has now come, has now come, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, underline that. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. For God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. Jesus is saying, lady, if you think you can only find God at church, I got big news for you. God isn't at church only. God is here with you. And real worshipers, people who truly want to follow and serve and exemplify the living God are going to do it in spirit and in truth. And it's so important that in one verse, Jesus uses that phrase or a portion of it three times. Do you think if Jesus says something three times in one sentence, we ought to pay attention? Do you think this is for her only? Buckle up. Here we go. The too many Christians are a little bit like this woman. We're trying to worship God only in spirit because we can get that in church where we can come in, put on our mask, raise our hands with the music, put a little money in the offering, do our communion, laugh at David's jokes, and we never have to get real about ourselves and about our lives and about the thing that Jesus has to do for us today. But the fact of the matter is what Jesus is saying to her and what he's saying to us is that God is always with us and God always knows us. And we can try and hide in church because we worship in spirit only. But God knows the truth and that's what God wants to deal with in our lives is the truth. So in verse 25, the woman says, well... I know that the Messiah, that's the Old Testament term, that's the, the Hebrew term, who is also called the Christ. What's interesting is Christ and Messiah are the exact same word in two different languages. One is used in the Old Testament in Hebrew, the other is used in the New Testament in Greek. They're the exact same term. I know he is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Now get this, this is the coolest phrase in the whole scripture. She is saying, I know that one day a man named Jesus will come and he'll tell me about all this stuff. That's what she's really saying, right? And though Jesus declared, well, I'm the one speaking to you. I'm he. Now, right here, Jesus claims that he is the son of God. Jesus claims that he is the Messiah. He claims that he is the Savior. And it's real interesting to me. That for us in the 21st century, reading this story from the first century, we have to either accept this or we have to figure out why we continue to go back and read the Bible about a lunatic who says he is the way. Jesus here in this scripture is unequivocal. He doesn't say, I am a way. I am one way. Jesus says, I am the only way. 
And you and I have to decide if he is Lord or if he's just one option. Because here's the deal. If he is just one option in this passage, he is a bold-faced liar, right? Some of you aren't sure if you're allowed to say that about Jesus in church. It's okay. Well, right about then, the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked him, what do you want or why are you talking to her? See, even the disciples know this shouldn't be happening. You've got Jesus, the ultimate rabbi, talking to a woman in public. You've got Jesus, a Jew, talking to a Samaritan. You've got a male talking to a female. Even the disciples know that social and cultural protocols say this shouldn't be happening. I mean, one of them should probably stop Jesus, tap him on his tall shoulder and tell him he's wrong. This is culturally, this is socially, this is racially unacceptable. But they can't say anything because Jesus talks in red letters. And then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come and see a man who has told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. Now, I want to skip a few verses because, you know, the disciples have been in town. They went in there, actually get something to eat. So they come back with their 12 pack of tacos and they're getting ready to sit down and have this conversation with Jesus. But I want to fast forward down to verse number 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. That just means her story. It's church talk for story. And then she said, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And then they said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. Now we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now think about it. This woman whom the town really knew. Think about it. She had five husbands and the man she was living with, working on husband number six, ostensibly, was not her, you know, was already somebody else's husband. Well, if each of those women told only 10 people, you do the math. This is a small town, right? It, word spreads pretty quickly. They knew her story. She goes in and owns her story. And then they come out to meet the man who knows everything about her. She said, everything I've ever done and who I've done it with. I mean, the tabloid that she wanted to avoid when her day started became the tool that God used to reach an entire community. And they came to meet Jesus for themselves and many believed and now they have their own story. So as we begin to process this, here's the deal, folks, it's time to face the music. See, there was something in this story that was going on in the life of this one woman that somewhere in this discourse, this woman found everything she needed to deal with the shame and the guilt that she had been holding on to. The bottom line was this. She had to acknowledge Jesus, which is all about the spirit. And at the same time, she has to acknowledge herself. And that's all about coming face to face with the truth. We're in a series called Unstuck, 
And today we're talking about guilt and shame. And here's what I want you to know right off the bat. Now, some of you are getting antsy. You're getting all neurotic. David, we got to fill in a blank. I need to fill in a blank. Hang on. Just 30 more seconds. Getting unstuck from the guilt and the shame in your life is more than coming to connect church. It's more than lifting your hands in worship. It's more than taking communion. It's more than laughing at my jokes. Getting unstuck from the guilt and shame in your life is all about coming face to face with with Jesus and coming face to face with him, acknowledging your own past. So you want to fill in a blank? Here it is. Not dealing with the past robs us of our future. For some of us in this room this morning, okay? Just recognizing that it is the truth about us is big. Because here's the deal. None of us, none of us can outrun our own past. I know people I've met over the years, they go, they move from place to place and they go from job to job and relationship to relationship, trying to outrun the past. The problem they never seem to acknowledge is wherever you are is the truth about you. At some point in the time, you've got to step up and you've got to own it and you've got to say, yes, I really did those things. Yes, I really said those things. Yes, I really went and and experienced those things. Yes, I had those relationships. Yes, that's how I have lived my life. And it's true. I can't deny it. Now, here's the good news. It doesn't have to define you either. Jesus says, go get your husband. She said, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, I know. I'm trying to get to the truth about why you don't have a husband. So, not dealing with the past. How do we do this? When we refuse to go back and face the truth about what we've done and who we are, God forbid, whatever's been done to us, we can't move forward with the person that God wants us to become until we do. And some of you are going, well, David, you know, I've heard all my life about the freedom that's found in Christ and the joy that's found in Christ and the contentment that I can have in Christ. David, I've never had it. And you recognize that the scariest place in your life is lying in bed at 2 a.m. and you can't sleep and you hate it because you hate yourself. Well, David, I, I, I've been coming to this church for a long time. I don't have anything to be ashamed of. So here's what we're going to do. Today, we're going to have everybody stand one at a time individually and share the worst thing you've ever... <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I can't see past the lights, but I think a few people just headed for the exits. But I am going to give you just a quick test just for your mind only, okay? Here's what you have to answer for yourself. Today, as you sit here this morning, September 17th, 2017, is there anything in your past that if the people sitting in the row next to you found out about today would mean you'd never come back to Connect Church moving forward? In the privacy of your mind, if you answered yes to that, then you don't have freedom from your past. 
Your past has control over you today and has complete control over you tomorrow and has complete control of your future. Now, I don't mean that this whole church and the whole world has to know everything that you've ever done. It has to know your whole life and all of your secrets. I just mean that somebody credible in your eyes has to know. That way, Satan can never chain you to your past and Satan can never use them against you in the future. Did we not sing that song a little bit ago? He breaks every chain. Did you not lift your hands and worship in spirit? Now I'm giving you the truth. For God to break that chain, you have to share that with one other person you can trust and that scares the bejesus out of it because in church, we're taught it's not safe to do that. That's why we work so hard around here, making Connect Church and our connection groups safe places for real people with real life issues to come and find real victory and real freedom. See, folks, that's what guilt and shame is. Well, they're slightly different. Guilt says, I did something bad. Shame says, I am bad. Do you understand the difference? Guilt says, I did something bad. I'm not proud of it. Kind of regret it. I'd change it if I could. Shame says, I am bad. And because I am bad, nothing can change. Guilt and shame perpetuate in solitude, by the way. And when they go unchecked, they're like a mold in a dark, damp cellar. They spread like crazy. And folks, there is not enough Bible reading in the world to overcome that. This is what Jesus knows and what Jesus has to do before we can worship him in spirit. So how do you deal with your past? Three quick things. First of all, you have to face the truth. Just recognizing it's not enough. Like I told you a minute ago, you can't outrun your past. Wherever you are, so is your past with you. Face the truth. Number two, we have to accept the truth. You say, well, David, that's the same thing. Nope. Just because we face the truth doesn't mean that we accept it. In fact, most of the time, you know what we do when we face the truth? We bury it. We bury it. Have you ever noticed, though, that when you bury the past, you're burying it alive? And eventually it's going to resurrect itself. You guys watch those like zombie movies, The Walking Dead, and they come up out of the grave. That's how our past is for some of us. We buried it, but we buried it alive. It's going to resurrect itself but we want to bury it. Or if we don't want to bury it, sometimes, as I told, shared with you last week, we want to blame others. And many of us, we never get over blaming ourselves. See, it's easier to point out all that stuff that we've done wrong before we were Christian, before we said yes to Jesus. It's a little tougher when we look at the things that we've done since we've said yes to Jesus. Do you guys realize that that's page three of the Bible? Think about it. Page one of the Bible is God speaking into existence everything that we have. That's page one of the Bible. Page two of the Bible is the story about how God created man and woman in his image to live in perfect relationship with him and perfect relationship with one another. Page three of the Bible is we screwed it all up. And the rest of the Bible is about God telling us how to fix our own screw-ups. You know, think about, think about Adam and Eve for just a moment. That's on page two of the Bible. 
And then the screw up is in page three of the Bible where Adam blames Eve. She shakes her hips and he eats the fruit. And then he says, God, well, that woman you gave me threw her under the bus, right? And then the next day, God's looking for them and they're hiding. Now, if you read that through comedian eyes, that's hilarious. But some of us try and hide from God. But go back to the, go back to the page three of the Bible. God, you know, God's like, well, I don't know where they are. I put them here yesterday. <laughs> David, <laughs> you're hiding. I know where you are and I know the truth about you and I know the truth you're hiding from, David. Won't you just come out? Look me in the eye and let's deal with it. Because until we do, David, you can never worship me again. Not in truth. We not only have to face the truth, folks, we have to accept the truth. And then here's the third thing. We have, we have to accept grace, not guilt. Now, some of you are breathing a sigh of relief right now. That's easy to say, but how in the world do we do it? How do we do it? So I was putting together some material for this series and for this message. I came across this book. It looks like this. Uh, the Art of Forgiving by Lewis Smedes. Incredible, incredible data in there based on biblical foundations and 21st century experiences. Anybody who's struggling with this issue of guilt and shame, get your iPhone out and take a picture of that and, and don't Google it right now. But I guess you could go on Amazon and order it right now. <laughs> but it's church time, so they'll charge you double shipping. Um, <laughs> The, the data in here is unbelievable. And let me tell you what, what's in there that relates to this conversation this morning. When you can't get over the shame of who you are and what you've done, the reality is the culture at large, the world as we would call it, gives us two options. Think about it. Option number one is this, just be better. Make yourself a better person because if you can be better, you're going to feel better about yourself. The only problem with that, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Here's the deal. I can be the absolute best that I can be, and I still can't erase who I was, right? Second option that the world gives us. Well, then think better, because if you think better, then you'll feel better. That's why the couple of Barnes and Nobles that are still left in Amazon are filled with reams and reams of self-help books and positive thinking books and seminars that you can go to online every day of the week. You know, smile, wink in the mirrors you walk by before you leave each morning. Problem is, no amount of positive thinking changes the truth about who I am and what I've done, right? So what Lewis Smeads with an assist from uh, Binti Brown says is this. It's really cool. I want you to hear this. People who have been able to truly deal with guilt and shame have had, an ex have had a spiritual experience of radical acceptance. Not just going to church and not just being accepted by God, as important as that is. And some of you have to understand the difference between being forgiven by God and being accepted by God. Not just being accepted by God, as important as that is, but by others in that community. Every single study 
that he has come across says that those people are able to get rid of both the guilt and the shame from their past. Folks, that's why we work so hard around here for this to be a safe place. It's also why Jesus had to go because there is nothing else that will work. He said, lady, if I had just have you say a prayer, then you'll feel good. And, and in this moment, you'll smile. And in this moment, you'll feel a little sense of release. But here in just a few minutes, my disciples are coming back with their 12-pack of tacos. And we're going to have lunch. And then we're going to leave. And then you're going to get up from this well. And you're going to go back into town. And the people there who know the truth about you. And in that moment that that happens, it's going to negate everything that happened here at the well as we sat here and had this conversation today. So here's what I want to do for you, lady. I want to get everything in your life out in the open so that when you go and you have to face it again, you can just shrug your shoulders and go, he knows. He knows. Well, did he know about husband number three? Yep. Did he know about husband number, did he know about all four husbands? Nope. He knew about all five of them. There's one I never told you about and you didn't know, but he knows. Well, does he know about the man? Yep. He knows. It's done. It's over. It's finished. I was accepted once that came out, she says. I was accepted with him, specifically telling me, I can't have you worshiping me spiritually unless you worship me in truth. See, so many times in the church world, folks, we try to worship God spiritually and we wonder why it's not happening. It's because you haven't come clean with the truth about yourself. We want to hide and we want to get buried in our own guilt and our own shame and we want to blame others and we want to carry the shame and the pain around from all the baggage that's built up in our lives. And here this morning, today, I don't want you to hide from all of that. In your own hearts, I want you to thank God for all of that. Not that you did it or God forbid that it was done to you. But today, I want you to thank God that in spite of all of that, you are loved. You are a favored son, daughter. You are a prince, a princess. You are a joint heir with the son of God himself to the throne of heaven. And he knows every detail about you. That's why Peter had to have that conversation with Jesus. This is when Jesus was going through just getting a smack beat out of him. Peter tried to be brave and follow him, but Peter got caught up in the circumstances. Three times people acknowledged him. The little girl points him out as one of the Jesus people. He cusses her out and says, no, I'm not. Now, after that, you guys, let's just be honest in here. You guys know how guilt and shame work in life, right? Or am I the only one? Okay. So after, after denying Jesus and cussing out the little girl there by the fire, do you think Peter was ever going to go out and preach a gospel message the rest of his life that had any legs to it? Absolutely not. So out of love, when Jesus shows up on the seashore and is fixing them breakfast, after everybody had their fish and chips, Jesus takes Peter off the side and says, Peter, let's go for a walk. Sure, Lord, what's up? Peter, do you love me? Yeah, do you love me? Yeah, no, Peter, do you really love me? Yeah, Lord, why are you asking me this? Because Peter, I know the truth. 
I know what you did in that courtyard that day. I know how it has heaped guilt and shame on your life. Is that true, Peter? Yeah, Lord, that's true. Peter, look me in the eye right here, right now. Peter, own it. And it's over. It's over. I want you to go in a couple of weeks and I want you to preach the first ever gospel message and I want you to see my kingdom explode on the face of the earth. And don't hide what you did, Peter. Tell them that you did it. Tell them that I know every detail and tell them that I forgave you and I'll forgive them. How many of you have been in this room by a show of hands would say, David, I believe that the Bible teaches that when I have sin in my life and I've messed up and I know I've messed up, I can go ask God once for forgiveness and he'll forgive me. Okay, pretty much unanimous there. So let me ask you this now. How many of you who raised your hands and believe that would be honest enough with yourself and even the people sitting in your row, it's fairly innocuous this morning, to say, and yet I continue to go back time and time and time again and ask God for forgiveness for that same thing I know he's already forgiven me for. Keep your hands high. Don't be ashamed. We're going to own it this morning. Look around. I got both hands up. No, I'm not Pentecostal. I just feel that. (laughs) See, folks, you can put them down. Here's what I want you to know, okay? You don't do that because you need forgiveness. You do that because you know you need freedom. And this, right here this morning, is freedom. So how do you move forward in light of all of this? Last thought there in your notes. Our past will be either Satan's greatest weapon or God's most powerful tool. Satan's greatest weapon or God's most powerful tool. You see, every time I try to walk more closely with God, the truth always comes up. And here's the deal, folks. If you're anything like me, you don't have to run away. All you have to do is pause in that moment and say, yep, that happened. It's not who I am. It's not who I am today. Today, I'm a favored son. Today, I'm a favored daughter. Today, I'm a recipient of God's amazing grace. But yeah, that happened. And you know what then begins to happen in your life when you do that? When you can almost, not, I don't mean loosely or cavalierly, but with a, with a sense of um, no regret. Do you know what begins to happen? It stops being used against you. Whenever Satan throws my past against me, it makes me fall deeper in love with the God who loves me. Because I have gotten from God what I'm never going to get from Satan, what I'm never going to get from this world, what I may not get from some to you. I have gotten absolute love and forgiveness and full light and understanding of who I am and what I've done or God forbid what's been done to me. You know, it's funny. When I think about my past, my stupidity, my failures, At this age and stage in my life and ministry, those seem to be the thing that God uses the most to help grow others. When I'm dealing with younger pastors, younger leaders, and people who are trying to figure it out. 
It used to be when I was like 15 years ago, I'd get called, David, would you come in and talk to us about preaching? David, would you come in and talk to us about leadership? Now, David, would you come in and talk to us about life and ministry? And I very rarely mention preaching and leadership. I talk about the negative effects and impact of pride and lust and debt and stupid choices. But you know what I've learned in this process and I found to be true biblically? It's gonna be the most freeing thing some of you have heard in your entire lives. Failure is an event. Failure is not a person. You may have a moment or an event or an experience of failure in your life, but you are not a failure. And I'll tell you how I finally figured that out for me. I finally figured that out for me when I recognize that God loves me. And you're like, well, David, I, I, I hear that. I go to church. I know God, God created mankind in his image. God has to love everybody. Yeah, that's true, but that's not what I'm talking about. See, for some of you, the freeing thing is this. Knowing that God loves you and accepting that God really, really, really likes you. Because some of you have thought that God has loved you because that's who he is, but you didn't think he liked you very much because you know the truth about yourself. But when you sit and you look God in the eye or vicariously one or two people whom you could trust with your life in the eye and you share that wound or that secret or that pain or that truth that always keeps you from feeling like God likes you, then what happens is God saying, yeah, and it's done. You don't have to walk around in shame anymore. You don't have to walk around in guilt anymore. You don't have to walk around like you're a second-class citizen in the church anymore. You're my son. You're my daughter. And I could not love you more. This morning at Connect Church may be the first day in some of your Christian lives that you will be free to worship God in spirit and in truth. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. I'm going to pray with you. When I'm done praying, we're going to dismiss this service and you're free to go. But after I pray, if some of you need a little extra prayer, you need a certain confidant, we have prayer partners who will be up here on either side of this stage. You can trust them. You can trust them with the story you've trusted nobody else with. You can trust them to pray for you and then not come running to me or to your spouse or to your small group leader or to your neighbor or to your boss and telling you. Think of them as vicarious physical representations of Jesus Christ. Sit down at the well this morning. Have a conversation with the Messiah. God, in this room this morning are a whole lot of people who are trying to live life as best they can. And some of them are struggling with guilt. They know the wrong that they've done. And God, if that's not heavy enough, if that's not bad enough, some of them not only deal with guilt, but they deal with its much uglier, much stronger first cousin, shame. Because they not only know the wrong that they've done, they now feel that they are the wrong that causes what they have done. And God, they're trying to live in your forgiveness. They're trying to be people of grace and people of joy and people of contentment, and they're just not getting there. So God, 
going back to John chapter 4 with a woman who winked in the mirror and tightened her scarf and then went out and hid from the world. When she sat down and had a face-to-face conversation with you, she was finally free to worship in spirit and in truth because you knew all about her. For some of you in this room who've been worshiping God in spirit, but you've never really worshiped him in truth, would you just lift your hand up and back down? That's all you got to do. We're going to free you this morning. That's all you got to do. I want to pray for you, not specifically. God, all around this room, hands are going up. People who have been embraced and enveloped in guilt and shame. And wherever they are, the truth is with them, but they, they are locked in this dungeon and they can't let it go. This morning, God, for those who raise their hands and those who wish they had, but are still praying this prayer, God, I pray that you would sit down at the well with them, look them in the eyes, tell them everything they've ever done wrong and that you know it. And God, let them know that they're not only forgiven for it, but they're free from it forever. And God, if somebody else brings it up, give them the courage to own it. Yeah, I said that. Yeah, I did that. Yeah, I went there. Yeah, I wish I hadn't. Can't change it, but that's who I was. That's not who I am. I'm a recipient of the grace and love of the Almighty God. I'm a son or a daughter, a joint heir with Jesus Christ, and heaven is my home. I'm free because Jesus paid it all. God, we love you. Holy Spirit, we thank you for sharing this experience with us. Thank you for the truth of an ancient story that is just as real and relevant as if we had happened at Fry's next door this morning on the, on the cereal aisle. So God, we walk out of here in spirit and in truth, free and forgiven, pursuing lives, joy and contentment. In Jesus' name we pray, everybody said. Thank you for tuning in to the Connect Church podcast. We hope and pray that God has spoken to you today. If so, please let us know. Leave us a review or a comment or visit us on the web at connectchurchaz.org. If you have any questions or would like someone to pray with you or would just like some more information, feel free to email us directly at info at connectchurchaz.org and someone will get back to you. Lastly, if you are enjoying this podcast, we would ask that you consider partnering with us This would be through your prayers. And secondly, through your giving. Online giving is tax deductible and 100% secure on the web. If you're currently a partner, thank you so much for your commitment. This podcast is produced by Missioner Audio at missionaraudio.com.